Um, you know, last week we started talking about the word inspire. We spoke about how God, um, in His Word, shares about two things that He has personally inspired. One of them is humanity, when He breathed into humanity to create them. And then we see, I know we talked about how humanity didn't really do very well with that. But then we have in John chapter 20, Jesus kind of recreating us by giving us the Holy Spirit. He breathes on his disciples. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And that is something that we get to live out. The inspiration of God is available for each and every single one of us and is now our responsibility uh, to outwork what God is breathing into us. You know, God's breath has amazing capacity to create. Look at the world. <laughs> Look at the universe. God created that. And that same breath is in us. It has infinite capabilities, but is limited. God chooses in a strange way to limit what He does based on our will, what we choose to let Him do. And so our responsibility is to allow that breath to take full expression in our lives. And that is what I'm excited about this year. I believe that that's what God wants to do. We don't want weak, lame Christians that are kind of like just, oh, I'm just kind of getting through. No, we want powerful, loving, creative Christians who are living out what God has placed in their lives. And so... One of the things that um, Beck uh, fed back to me is that I might have made it seem as though the moment we choose, oh God, I want to be inspired by you, suddenly everything is rosy and we become superhumans. That's not how the Bible describes it. it in fact, it is more of a process of submission and, uh, and bringing ourselves more and more to God, learning how His will is to be accomplished in us. But the more we allow God to do that, the more we are, as the Bible uh, says, we are transformed. Two verses that I love that talk about this is Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more we come into contact with God's word, uh, we, we renew our minds and then we get to understand more of what he's wanting to do, which then allows us to do those very things that he's wanting us to do. That's what this verse in a nutshell is talking about. And then 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, which is just talking about how there is no uh, separation between us and God anymore. And so we get to be in His presence. And the more we come into contact with God's presence, the more we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does it mean, the same image? I believe that that's talking about how we have been created in the image of God in the first place. But so many of us have chosen to live out a different image. And so God is saying, hey, come back to the original design. And that's what this is about. We are being transformed from one image um, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about this process. And it's a really um, simple, but at the same time, I hope that 
this is going to really resound with us as Christians because I think that we actually take this very much for granted. And at the same time, this is the second thing, the only other thing that I have personally found that God has personally inspired. All right, so this is important. We talked about how humanity was breathed into existence by God. This is the other thing that uh, the Bible tells us is inspired by God, and that is in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, is valuable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man of God is every Christian, man or woman, is using a bit of an old, uh, older English kind of a uh, catch-all. And so um, this is what it says, that Scripture, the Word of God, contains God's breath. This book contains God's breath. Now, what does that actually mean that this is inspired by God? You know, when I was younger, I um, grew up in a, uh, a denomination that really valued the Word of God, so much so that I literally thought that if I put this under my pillow at night and I rest my head on it, that the inspiration, the breath of God would somehow flow into my life and I would become a better person by the time I wake up. Anyone ever thought about that? Anyone? No? Oh my gosh, you guys are too holy for me. But what does it mean? You know, some people are like, oh no, you need to look after you. Oh, why is that dog ears on your Bible? Do you know that that is the holy word of God and you just ruined it? I don't know if that's what it literally means at this physical book. In fact, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, this wasn't in existence. There was a whole bunch of scrolls that people understood, recognized as Scripture. In fact, Scripture was still being written at that point when Paul wrote this because he says that Peter, the Apostle Peter, is still is, is, is writing Scripture. And Peter himself is saying Paul is still writing Scripture. And so that, at that point in time, uh, the Scripture was still being written. And so we don't have this book, this physical book that is holier than any other book. What makes the Scripture holy is the concepts, the words that is holy. And so what we need to understand is that we need to get the words, not this physical book. Don't get 20 Bibles and leave them on the shelf. The dust on those books is not worth anything. It is when we get this and we open it up and it begins to make sense to us. That's how we know that we are coming in contact with God's heart and God's mind and God's attitudes and we get to be transformed. This is what it says, that when we uh, get in contact with this inspired Word of God, we find something that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. Do you know what I read when I hear those, uh, what I understand when I see those words? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. It means that it's a process. It means that when I read this, it's supposed to be either teaching me something new, is reproofing me, which means it is giving me a, a deeper confidence, a deeper evidence for what I should be believing in. It corrects me. That's the one I, none of us like. When we come in contact with the Scripture and the Scripture says, no, 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 that's not how you're supposed to be thinking. That's not how you're supposed to be acting. And that it's also supposed to be training us. It's giving us something, uh, a new capability 
capabilities. Um, and, and that is, sorry, just got distracted there. <laughs> it, that, that is what is supposed to happen. And those sound like processes to me, doesn't it? How many of us do 30 seconds of school because that's what an education is. You just come in contact with the school, you step into the school and suddenly you get all the teaching, all the training and all the equipping. No, you have to sit through and you have to choose through the actual content that is being given to us. Do we treat the Bible with the same kind of respect? Do we allow the inspired word of God to teach us to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us. Now, I want to just uh, uh, back it up a little bit because uh, Paul's actually writing something, uh, writing about Scripture in a context. Why did he bring this up? In 2, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7, this is what Paul was saying. But understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households, this is funny, and capture weak women. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I'm like, that's very specific, Paul. <laughs> the creepers who get into people's bedrooms and snatch up women. That is crazy. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago about how culture was going. And I look at that, and I think 2,000 years later, that still demonstrates what human condition is like. Those things are not far from our society. This describes the human condition without the inspired Word of God. What does Paul say? That they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. In other words, it's saying that people think that they're doing all good. They think that they are good people, but they actually don't have the power to live out that goodness. Some other translations say they have the form, but not the substance. We have the Instagram page, but we don't actually have the life. We have the Instagram filters that make us look all perfect, but when you see the person in real life, it's like, you are catfishing me. That's an American word, isn't it? Do we use that here? No, not really. It just means that, like, no, that's not who you are. You're not happy. You're not satisfied. You're constantly on your phone finding the next filter that makes you look more perfect than you were 20 seconds ago. You have the form, but not the substance. And what does Paul say? Why do these people do that? It's because they are always searching for the truth, but never arriving at it. They are always learning, but never finding, never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. You know, our society over time has changed about how truth is found. There was the scientific revolution where only by empiricism and all of that will we find the truth, and then what they found were dead ends. You know, we thought, well, then, then let's, if we can't find truth, then everyone has truth. We went Oprah Winfrey about truth. You get truth. You get truth. And then they found like, then no one knows what is going on. 
the latest way that culture is telling us. Some of you might notice, some of you might not. But now we're saying only the oppressed people really know truth because they've gone through hell and they've still survived. And so we need to go to the oppressed people to find out what truth is. And we're going to them and what we're finding, depression, anxiety, fear, pain, and empathy that is groundless. And God is saying, there is truth that you can find. There is knowledge that you can have. And when you have this, you're not just going to have the form of godliness. You're also going to have power. God's desire for us is not that we are just obeying a bunch of rules. In fact, he tells, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, he says, For God gave us a spirit, which can also be translated breath, by the way. God inspired us, not with fear, but guess what? God wants us to have power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. And so when we come in contact and we allow the Bible to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us, and to train us, Paul then says that the Word of God completes us. This, the concepts found in this book completes us. Can we go back to that passage again, the 2 Timothy 3? Not that one, the one before that about the Bible being inspired, that the Christian, that the person of faith, that the person that is actually engaged in this may be complete. What are you looking to complete you? What are you looking for that makes you think, I'm going to find fulfillment and completion in that? If it's anything other than God, you're doing what the rest of humanity is doing. I'm not saying this in a condemning way that says, slap, slap, come on. I'm just trying to help you to discover that if our aspirations and our dreams, if our drives and our will, if our emotions and our intellect is driven from anything other than the inspired Word of God, we will have the form, but not the substance. I heard this a while ago, and it was a really interesting quote. This person said that nothing empties a person like the fulfillment of their dream. Because our humanity is such that we make all of these dreams up. We have these aspirations. If I have that job, if I have that relationship, if I have that income, if I have that position, if I have all of these things, then I will find a new level of completion in my life. But quite often when those dreams are not based on what God is wanting to do in our lives, we hit that dream and we go, and then what? And then what? And then what? We don't find completion, we find greater emptiness because now we don't even have that dream to fall back on and say, let me get there. Now it's like, I'm there, I'm here. There is now here and here is not there. And I'm neither here nor there. And I'm a bit lost and I don't really know what I'm doing. Because we are not basing our lives on the truth that is inspired by the Word of God. The word complete here 
might have a slightly different connotation to what we are thinking of. Very specifically, when Paul says that the person of God may be complete, it's saying that the person is capable, fully capable and fully proficient. You know what God wants to do in your life? The more that you get in touch with the inspired Word of God, you increase in your capacity and your capabilities. The Word of God is not to just like, oh, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. No, no, no. When we get into us, I become a bigger person. I'm more capable of handling life. And I'm more capable and capacity. I've got more capacity to handle life. If you're finding yourself at the end of your capacity and constantly struggling to find out if you, whether you can make it or not, that's because you haven't been growing. We are hardwired as human beings to constantly increase in our capability and our capacity. But there is a certain stage where that automatic growth stops becoming automatic. You know, I love watching Sam, my son, grow because it's crazy. One moment I'm like, he's not done anything new for a while. And I'm like, he's still saying the same old words. He's still doing the same old things. He still can't handle his emotions. And he's all over the place. And then suddenly, in a space of a few days, suddenly he finds another level. And I'm like, what the heck? Now he's, um, now he's actually saying and putting words together. It's really cool. When Beck walks away, he's like, no more, mommy. I was like, whoa, how do you go from no to no more and then no more mommy? It's like there is this growth that happens that we don't even know how it happened, and it's quite automatic. We've not been like, Sam, you've got to learn how to put no and more and mummy together. We've never done that. He just kind of connects that, and it's great. But then that kind of automatic growth stops. God allows us to get to a point where we now need to put in effort to increase in our capability and our capacity. And what does he say will get us to increase in our capability and our capacity? The inspired Word of God. You can go to your psychologist. I go to see a psychologist once every six weeks. And there are things that I get challenged about. I get perspectives and all of that. But at the end of the day, it's all rooted in the Word of God. When we move this anchor, our capacity and our capabilities begin to decline. I've been reading a biography about a Christian theologian who lived in Nazi Germany. He was there for the rise of Hitler, and he was there when Germany was preparing for World War II. And at that point, Germany would consider itself a Christian nation, particularly because of Martin Luther. Not the uh, African-American in America, the original Martin Luther. And that's, honestly, he was named after that guy. And Martin Luther spoke against the Catholic Church because they were moving away from the Word of God. And so what Martin Luther did is that he translated the Bible into everyday German and distributed it across the nation of Germany. Martin Luther was credited with creating Germany as we know because they were all tribes and he created one common language that they could all learn from and so the whole of Germany became Lutheran. That's what happened. 
When Hitler came about, the nation of Germany had gotten so used to the word of God that they started to take it for granted. They started to move away from it. And then they started to change it. To the point where they tried to erase every point of Jewishness in the book of the Bible. They started to go, you know what? Let's put our truth into the word of God. Let's change the cedars of Lebanon, literally trees. No, we can't talk about Lebanon. Let's talk about the firs of Germany. They literally changed all of that. They erased portions of the Bible and put their thought into it. Where did Germany end? We know what happened then. That a nation that was transformed by the Word of God moved on from the Word of God and what replaced its capacity and capability was evilness and destruction. My fear living in the world today is that we no longer see the inspired Word of God as the anchor for our lives. We see the Word of God as something that is optional because I have my relationship with God. The Word of God is just like this, it's like this little dear diary thing that I will touch every now and then. This is not dear diary. This is the anchor point of my life. When I think something is true but the Bible says differently, I don't correct the Bible, the Bible corrects me. But so many of us don't like that, and so we put that to the side and we leave it alone. We need to see the inspired Word of God as the anchor point and so important to me that I will do things to make room for the Word of God first. Can you say that about your life? Can you say that about the Word of God. I think we all hopefully were a little bit inspired last week. I'm inspired by God. Oh, that feels good. This is also inspired by God. Oh, I don't like that. That's a bit hard. No, we need... I feel great that God inspired me. And that's inspired too. Great. I need more of that. I pray that this year will be a year that you find the Word of God so much more attractive than anything in the world. But you know, when the Word of God isn't as attractive, we still go, that's still more important than whatever the world is offering. I hope that our emotions will shift so that we love this. But if our emotions don't shift, we still prioritize this so much so that our emotions will shift at the right time. And there, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that I think are really important in approaching the Word of God because I know that uh, even for myself, I struggle with loving the Word of God for many years. I grew up in the Methodist movement uh, where it was all about uh, the Bible and, 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 and living out the right way and, and all those practices. And for a while, I moved away from it because I felt like it wasn't really life-giving. And then I realized why? Because I approached the Bible um, in two ways that were extremely unhelpful. And I think that many of us actually approach the Bible in these ways. I'm going to give you a couple of images. And I'm going to talk through these images as to how we can wrongly approach the Bible. The first looks like this. So this is the first picture. Kind of looks light, doesn't it? 
You see, when we approach the Bible as a book of rules and regulations, as a code of conduct, and then when we read the Bible, we are trying to, with every passage, work out, is what I'm doing right or wrong? Did you know that the first five books of the Bible is called the law? Do you know that how much of the first five books of the Bible is literally thou shalt and thou shalt not? One chapter. How many other chapters are there in the first five books of the Bible? Why did God embed the Ten Commandments and the rules for the land of Israel, for the people of Israel, in a story? I want you to think about this. Why did God not just give them a shorter list of reading as to their code of conduct? Because God wasn't so much interested in giving them a list of things to do and not to do as much as he was wanting them to see the heart and the history and his plan and how he was working in the lives of people. And so when we just look through this and say, oh, am I supposed to do that or am I not supposed to do that? What we find is not God, but what we find is legalism. And that's where I felt so devoid of life when I was like, oh man, I just found another thing that I'm not supposed to do. You know, there was a stage in my parents' life, and I really respect them for really trying to find out what God was saying about their life, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible about not eating seafood. And I love seafood. I love crabs. I grew up in Singapore. If you had a Singapore chili crab... It's beautiful. It gives you life. And then it says in the Word of God that you're not supposed to eat that kind of seafood. And my parents actually thought that they needed to go to a, a very learned pastor and say, Do we, is this something that we need to follow? And I was like, please, please don't say yes. And so in some ways I was scared to approach the Word of God because I didn't want to find if there were things that I wasn't supposed to do that I love doing. How boring is it to approach the Word of God as a bunch of rules and regulations? Do you know our church has a constitution? It's called the Rules of Lift Church. Very few of you will care to read it. It's boring. I don't look at it much because it's not that relevant. What we're doing here is far more relevant. Is that important? Yes. But it's kind of only important when things go wrong. And so we treat the Bible as that place that I go to when things go wrong. I've lost sight of what is important. How that looks like is, yeah, when you're looking through, you're like, oh, you're getting disappointed and you're like getting, oh, man, I, really? Oh, that's annoying. You know, one moment the Bible says worship God, the next moment God says, I'm not that interested in your worship, I'm more interested in, 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 in you doing right by other people. And then again it says, you know, I, I need you to worship me. And I'm like, so should I worship you or should I not? Because this is not how it was meant to be understood. The second way that I got really caught up with the Bible that was really wrong is this. As though the Bible is a personalized GPS for me. And I will look in the Word of God for what I was meant to be doing today. That's not how the Bible was written. 
You know, and what happened when I took on that perspective is that when I read the Word of God and I come to a passage, maybe in Leviticus or Numbers, and I go, this is boring. I don't have any ancestors by the name of Methuselah, and I don't care that he lived a thousand years old. That has got no bearing with what I'm doing today. We read all these passages and we go, that's not relevant. That's not relevant. That's not relevant. Oh, I like that one. That sounds like it could be relevant because it says blessing and prosperity. That wasn't how this Bible was written. Let me say this clearly. The Bible can be used as an amazing guide for our life, but the Bible isn't used as an individualized, specifically written for Rebecca book. It's not Rebecca's holy Bible. It's God's holy word. And what we do is that when we read this, it's not so much giving us what we're meant to do today, but is more working on the back end, is working on our internal maps, and is telling us where the roadblocks are, is telling us where the right paths are, is telling us where we are meant to be heading in general as humanity, and through that we get to then go and interpret and say, okay, God, what do I do today based on those things? Most of us want to shortcut that and say, I don't want to read those maps. You know, I'm terrible at direction. And before smartphones came out, I hated going places because I was so scared of getting lost. And back in those days, right, some of you don't even believe me because you've never seen them before, but they were called map books. And when you got a map book, you had to look at the map book and try to find the right grid where your location was and where you wanted to go. And then you had to trace all these tiny little minuscule lines to try to find where you're supposed to go. And then you need to memorize it. Sometimes that's a little bit more, that's closer to what God is saying. We get so used to this quick Siri, get me to Kensington PCYC. Locating, calculating, let's go. And then you get this little voice that's like, turn left, turn right. God is not interested in quick. God's not interested in your timeline of when you need to do what. God is interested in our formation, that the person of God may be complete. And so when you don't spend time in the Word of God, you're not updating your software. You're getting outdated, people. We need to really get into the Word of God. And so I want to give you two things that this year in particular as a church, I want us to really focus on. These are two things about the Word of God that I've been discovering and I'm being challenged about. This is how the Word of God was written. And these two words are going to come up on the screen are communal and meditate, meditative. The Bible was written as a communal book and it was written as a meditative book. Let's take it uh, one step at a time. The Word of God was given as a meditative book. It wasn't written as a reference book. It was written as a book that we internalize and we actually know because it's already inside of us. 
The Word of God wasn't written so that all of us can buy this and put it on our shelves so we can take it out whenever we need. It was written and it was put forward to the community, in particular at the starting point with Israel, so that they would continue to learn, meditate, and memorize it. This is what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8. The book of the law, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Notice this. It says that when you get this onto your lips and onto your mind and onto your heart, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success in all you do. Because God changes us and prepares us so that we will have the capabilities and the capacities to do what He has called us to do and we will be successful in those things. So many of us are saying, you move, you do the things, and you do all of these things. And God is saying, you start reading the Word of God and you will be able to do those things. God, I can't control my anger. It is so hard, it is so hot, and I just don't know how to deal with it. So God, why don't you change my ability to handle my anger? Read your Bible. Meditate on it. Work out what the Word of God is trying to say. Let it correct, train, teach, reprove, and allow my capacities and capabilities to be complete. Some of us are still waiting for miracles of God when God has already said, I breathe into you. You just need to step up. I don't mean this as a slap. I mean this as a, oh my gosh, I need to do this. And so how do we meditate on the word day and night? How do we ensure that the word of God doesn't depart from our mouth? I was thinking about, I was reading up on this and this thought uh, uh, was put forward by uh, a theologian and he said, through memorizing scripture. I grew up memorizing a ton of scripture and um, it's very boring. It was very difficult. And I hated references in particular because I can't remember if it was Isaiah 40, 35 or is it Isaiah 35, 40? I always get those things wrong. It's really difficult. But then I realized now that that wasn't the point. I wasn't trying to memorize numbers. I was trying to memorize the word of God. Why? Because when we try to memorize something, we are rehearsing it in our minds and on our, uh, through what we're saying, and over time, we're starting to get it into our spirit and our soul. We're pulling apart its meaning as we continue to reflect on it. That's what this is supposed to be all about. The med- you're not just supposed to be able to speak this out. Do you know the best form of memorization isn't just by simply repeating something? is by understanding the meaning behind what you're trying to memorize. If you don't understand the meaning behind what you memorize, you will forget it. It is not committed to your long-term memory. It's only committed to your short-term memory. But if you understand its meaning, it goes deeper into your mind, and it sticks there. Why I have a good memory is because I tend to pull things apart and try to work out what it means. I don't try to remember all of your mobile numbers because it's just a number. That's not whether my memory is good or not. It's just not committed to the long-term memory. But sometimes we treat the Word of God as though it's like a phone book. It's not a phone book. It has deep meaning 
So as a church, one thing that I want us to do this year, but you're going to need to step into it. This is not my thing. I can't force you to do this. You're not paying a fine. But I want us to go through a memory verse challenge. So this year, we're going to put forward 10, I shouldn't call it memory verse because they're memory passages. Some of them are a full chapter of Psalms, don't worry. Not a full chapter of Numbers. Or a full chapter. But it's one a month, and you get January off, and you get December off. There's one passage a month that you can reflect on, meditate on, memorize, pull out its meaning, speak to one another. We'll get onto that in a moment. And then at the end of the year, we can do a prize for someone who's done that really well. The prize will be that you are a, a better equipped, a better capacity, better capabilities, because that's what the Word of God says. We might come up with another prize as well. Uh, but can we do that? Stay tuned. We are going to get this word into us. And what we've done is, what I've done is, I've attached these passages to the 10 core truths that I want our church to constantly be repeating. That we understand these 10 things about our Christian faith. And it's not just these uh, uh, phrases that sound good, they'll be attached to the word of God. And so maybe in five years' time, guess what? You're going to have 50 passages that are backing up 10 core truths and you're going to be better equipped to handle life. I guarantee you that, not because I'm so good, but because the Word of God guarantees that by itself. So let's make sure that the Word of God is not just something that we flick in and flick out of. Let's meditate on it. It's better for you to meditate on one passage for a whole year and to get great truth from it than to be reading through the whole Bible and not meditating on a single thing. Let me say that again. It's better for you to meditate and to get so much out of one passage than to have read through the whole Bible and gotten no meditative quality out of it. So don't rush through the Word of God. Learn how to stay. Learn how to wait. And then the second thing about the Word of God is that it's a communal book. When the Bible was first written, it was scrolls, and not everyone had scrolls. And what will be done is that in particular, the community of Israel is that they will read this, and the community would hear it, and they would memorize it, and they would talk about it. But then because we've got the luxury of all having a Word of God, not just as a book now, on our phones, wherever we go, we don't even talk about it with each other. We don't share about it anymore. We don't talk about what we've been learning about the Word of God. For the community of Israel, which this was written for at the start, that would be unthinkable. After they go to the synagogue on Sunday morning and they heard uh, the rabbi or the, uh, or, the, or the Pharisee reading that passage, they would get together and they would be talking about it. They would have lunch and they would be like, remember what was said today? What do you think about that? How does that work? I don't really get that. Such a great thing when you have people who are more mature in the faith with people that are younger in the faith and they're actually sharing and so that we are learning together. Last year, Beck and I, we did a lift group where we just worked through the book of Galatians together. Every week we read one chapter and then we just shared. It didn't matter that we were pastors and someone else was just a lay person. We just shared the word of God. And the overwhelming, you can ask these people, you can ask Stephen, you can ask Emma, you can ask Susan, the overwhelming response is like, why do we do this? Why do I have half an hour before I'm rushing to work to read this thing and then I'm supposed to try to work it out by myself? 
That was never what God intended. Sometimes it's good to do some of that study, but that's not how the Bible was written. Thank God that we all get access to this, that I'm not the only person in our old, whole church that, that gets to read this. You get to read the inspired Word of God every single moment of every single day. But sometimes, because there isn't that kind of demand, people don't demand it. You know, people didn't care about toilet paper until it started running out. <laughs> toilet paper. I think that there's more Bible around than toilet paper in today's world. And so we worry about the toilet paper, but we don't worry about the Word of God. I wonder if there's something more that we can do to hold each other accountable in a loving way, to read the Word of God, to challenge each other. The Word of God still challenges me when I learn new things about what God is saying. It's like, man, why didn't I see that before? Because it's a process. God's not worried about quick. God's more worried about Sarah. And he's doing something great in this world because he's breathing on his people and he's breathing on his word. Can we get the band up this morning? When you join a lift group, it's not about just getting together and having fun. I hope that there's this sense of like, hey, Let's, let's get into the Word of God. Yes, we use curriculum and what people are teaching because that's giving perspective on the Word of God. But let's challenge and let's learn. Let's memorize together. Let's share with these passages that we're... We, use the app. You can go in a chat room and say, hey, I've been meditating on the, on the memory passage this, this month and God's really put this on my heart. What else are you guys seeing? Imagine how rich our faith could be, how much more enriched we could be if the inspired Word of God wasn't sitting on a shelf expiring, but it was actually breathing life into us, correcting, reproofing, teaching. I'm not saying that we're going to turn into Nazi Germany, but sometimes I wonder where our world is going, where we twist the Word of God to mean what we want it to be rather than to study it and to change us into what God is intending. Why don't we stand this morning? We're going to close the gathering now because this Word of God isn't about me praying for you that you will become better at reading the Word of God. Today is about, God, I hope that there's a stirring in our church to come back to the Word of God because it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training that the person of God may be complete, ready to do every good work. God, I pray, put your hands out as a sign of surrender. You can put it over your heart as a sign of God. This is what I'm committing to. God, I want your word to be living and active in my life. I don't just want the inspiration from you in the sense of me coming into your presence. I want to learn to see the inspiration in your word. 
Say, God, I pray that when I'm feeling lazy, that when I'm feeling distracted, that when I'm feeling discouraged, you will help to sustain me in your word. For your word is truth. Your word is life. God, I pray that as you said, that your Holy Spirit will come to teach. It will come to uncover. It will come to reveal. God, I pray that in our lives, that as we read your word, that the truth is revealed, that your heart is revealed, that it comes into our spirit and it brings change. It brings transformation, that we will be increased in our capacity and in our capabilities. So I thank you, God, that you have given us something as precious as your inspired word. And I pray that we'll give it the right respect and honor and priority in our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.